Can the Denver Broncos avoid an 0-2 start to the 2023 season? We're going to talk about every aspect of this matchup on a special crossover Thursday episode of Locked On Broncos. You are Locked On Broncos, your daily Denver Broncos podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into Crossover Thursday. This Crossover Thursday episode between Locked On Broncos, Locked On Commanders is brought to you by Prize Picks, the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Go to prizepicks.com slash locked on NFL and use code all lowercase locked on NFL, all lowercase one word for a first deposit match up to $100. My name is Sarah Bettinger, co-host of Locked On Broncos here with David Harrison host of Locked On Commanders, and we're here to talk about a week two matchup that certainly has plenty of intrigue for a variety of different reasons. But David, I'm excited to hear from you about this matchup. And what do you feel going into week two is the biggest story for a Commanders team that now is 1-0 heading to the Mile High City? Yeah, I, I mean, the biggest story going on around this team is the the health status of Chase Young, right? The the, the defensive end, he, he had his, his fifth-year option declined by the Washington Commanders. Uh, for a multitude of reasons. Some of it is obviously injury related, right? Towards ACL in the middle of the 2021 NFL season and wasn't able to come back till almost the end of the 2022 NFL season, really only got uh, a few games in to really kind of show that he was back and healthy. So then we come through this whole off season and, you know, they've got a decision to make and you go back to even before he got injured in 2021, eight and a half games into the season when he got hurt, he had a sack and a half. So it's not like the production was really through the roof anyway. So a lot of questions from production standpoint, from a health standpoint, there's just, there's just too many things kind of left hanging for the Washington commanders to feel comfortable picking up his fifth year options. So they decline that. And that leads to an entire, uh, you know, remaining off season. We were at, we had trade talks before the NFL draft anyway, but ever since then it's just been, will they trade him? Won't they trade him? Who wants to trade for him? And what will they give up for him? Uh, and all these things. And then he suffers the stinger in preseason week one against Cleveland Browns. And we haven't seen him, you know, take full contact. Uh, sense. And that's a long time to recover from a stinger when some guys can come back in the same game that they suffer a stinger. You know what I mean? So every injury is different. It's just with Chase Young, it seems like every injury that he suffers, the difference between his and everybody else's is he takes longer to come back. And that's not the way you want to be unique in the National Football League. Uh, ruled out, obviously, for week one, but there are reports already surfacing that the team hasn't confirmed. But the belief is that he's not going to be ready for week two either may not even be ready until week four and they they host Philadelphia, but obviously Broncos aren't worried about that. Right. And and I think going up against that commander's defensive front is going to be a focus for every team this season, regardless if he plays or not, right? There's so much talent there for that group. And I think injuries, obviously a major storyline for the Denver Broncos once again this year, but truly the biggest story going into week one is for, I think everybody in Broncos country, is this the same team all over again, right? They they had the same exact final score as they did last year in week one against Seattle, 17 to 16, losing with some kicking issues mixed in there. Maybe a little bit uh, less from Russell Wilson than you needed in the second half. Obviously, Sean Payton taking over the Denver Broncos. I think a lot of fans want that overnight success, right? They want to see what Peyton Manning brought to the team in 2012. But even that team, David, I think people got to remember, they started off almost two and four if they would have not come back against the Chargers there in the second half of an incredible Monday night game. So that's really the biggest story for the Denver Broncos. Is this the same team, just a different coach, a high-profile coach, a coach who's coming out here 
saying a bunch of stuff and, you know, talking like, man, things are going to be so much different. The culture is changing. We're mm -hmm. doing things a different way. We got guys running around the building if they have pre-snap penalties in practice. And I don't know how serious he is about all those things, but you kind of tend to take Sean Payton at his word these days. Uh, I'm interested yeah. from your perspective, as you see, obviously, the, the commander's going through a quarterback change, which Broncos fans definitely familiar with. It's interesting. The biggest story going into week two for the commanders is still Chase Young, despite the fact they started off this era of new ownership with a victory. Obviously, Sam Howell coming in and playing well in the fourth quarter. Let, let Broncos fans know, kind of, because Broncos fans really liked Sam Howell coming out. Before Russell Wilson yeah. came along, there was you no know, the pre-draft excitement. Tell Broncos country how Sam Howell is looking, and of course, obviously, commanders fans, what your impression was in week one. Yeah, no, I'm glad you brought that up because like Chase Young is the biggest storyline around here, but the biggest story that's going to impact this game is absolutely quarterback Sam Howell and what he does in week two to follow up from week one. And, and you know, when you talk about uh, a young quarterback getting his his first start as the starting quarterback of the Washington Commanders, right? Obviously, he had the start last year against the Dallas Cowboys in week 18. It looked pretty good there. I think he surprised a lot of people. So then you go through the entire offseason program, training camp preseason as the guy, and then you come into here or in a week one and into a sold out FedEx field going up against the Arizona Cardinals. It was kind of like this perfect storm mixture of just very, very high expectations for Sam Howell and what he was going to be able to do. And the reality of it is whether it was a little bit of weather, a little bit of pressure, a little bit of nerves, uh, some of the excitement kind of weighing in, you know, I think, I think a lot of people can kind of forget that with all the excitement surrounding the Washington commanders after the sale of the team and, you know, the legends are coming back and all that that also carries a little bit of pressure on the team to now deliver for all that excitement, right? Because now if the excitement fades, it's not going to be blamed on the owner. It's not going to be blamed on even a, a poorly constructed or maintained stadium. It's going to be blamed on the players on the field. So for a young quarterback, that's a very, very stressful situation to be in. And I think some of that pressure got to, to Sam a little bit early on. Uh, and then the Arizona Cardinals got to Sam early on. And honestly, they had to get to him first a little bit dirty. They, they drew some personal foul penalties. Uh, hit him late, hit him in the head. And, you know, look, I'm not going to accuse anybody of uh, of planning certain things. You know, I mean, speaking to Sean Payton, we've it's never been unheard of. Right. But I'm not going to say it go as far to say that's what they were doing. But it looked to us like the Arizona Cardinals were certainly looked to send a message uh, to Sam Howell. That message appeared, honestly, to have probably gotten through. Hopefully other NFL teams don't take uh, that as a cue and continue to kind of bring this dirty approach towards rattling Sam Howell. But the good thing that you you like from this team is Sam Howell, you know, ne didn't necessarily come back and like lead this team to victory in the sense of like having this just immaculate quarterback uh, bounce back second half. But what did happen is you had a coaching staff, Eric B specifically on the offense and Ron Rivera helping make those decisions understood the situation they're in. The weather is poor. Our quarterback is not doing great in his first start this season. We've got an amazing defense and let's be honest that Arizona Cardinals team over there doesn't look all that good. So they ran the ball a lot more in the second half than they did in the first, a lot more than they passed in the first. Uh, Sam Howell ends up getting his first rushing touchdown uh, of the season as well uh, on, on, a, on a broken pass play. And they basically just said, look, we don't need to come out here and blow this team away. There's no AP rankings. There's no voting to talk about. It's just wins and losses. So let's do what's best to get this win. Get out of here. Break down the film. Learn, get better, and come back. Uh, I talked to Sam Howell's college offense coordinator, quarterback coach Phil Longo, who's now coaching out there in Wisconsin about what he saw. Uh, the first the first week in the NFL. And he said, look, Sam Howell went through a learning curve in North Carolina. He's going to go through a learning curve here. But if you watch the film closely and Commanders fans have already kind of pointed this out, when you look at Sam's mentality throughout that game, 
The numbers still don't look great, but you see a quarterback that through some of the mistakes he made in the first half, he played smarter in the second half. And that's the silver lining that the commanders are going to lean on to hopefully come into mile high and get an upset win. Yeah, that's that's a great note. And I think what you just said is so important. Statistically speaking, Russell Wilson, maybe not looking as good as Broncos fans would have hoped with 170 some yards and a couple of touchdowns, but no interceptions. Not spectacular numbers, but again, I think you have to trust your eyes when you watch these two players. And I'm glad you brought up Eric Bieniemy. I couldn't help but think of him as Andy Reid went forward on fourth and 20 and then fourth and 25. I wonder if Eric would have maybe just said, hey, let's maybe punt it and try again on another, you know, just live to see another day type of thing. But uh, it'd be interesting to see his return to Colorado as well as he is a yeah. CU buff, you know, notable right. there. So Certainly going to be an exciting matchup between these two teams, but what matchups within the game are going to decide the game? We're going to talk all about it, but before we do that, let me tell you about today's sponsor, Jace Medical. Modern medical care and treatment are important, but our global supply chains are fragile. Things like pandemics, natural disasters, and foreign travel may cut you off from the treatment that you need. And have you ever been in a situation where you were in pain or you needed medication, but your doctor was out of town or you couldn't get in to see the physician because, well, there's no appointments available for days. I know I've been there before and I know I've needed some help. And I think what we have here today is the solution. Jace Medical is the solution and it's simple. All you got to do is fill out an online form and one of Jace Medical's board certified physicians will review it to determine whether medications are safe and appropriate for your situation. Then they send your prescriptions to one of their partner pharmacies where your Jace order will be filled and life-saving medications will be mailed directly to your home. And not only that, but you can send your physician a message and get some answers about treatment-related questions anytime. Save more than $360 by getting these life-saving antibiotics with Jace Medical, plus an additional $20 off by using my code LOCKEDON. That's all caps, locked on one word at checkout on Jace Medical. Dot com. That's J-A-S-E medical.com. We're going to talk about matchups that are going to decide Broncos and Commanders this coming weekend, week two of the 2023 NFL season. But before we do that, we got to give a huge shout out to every single one of you everydayers out there that make Locked On Commanders or Locked On Broncos your first listen of the day every single day right here on the Locked On Podcast Network where you can get your podcast free and available anywhere as well as you can watch us on YouTube. So we appreciate you all making us part of your day every single day, however you choose to do so. David, I love when people join on, on the treadmill at, on their way to work or on their way yeah. home. It's always great. So thank you so much to all of you that participate and join in the discussion. We appreciate every single one of you. Let's talk about some matchups that could decide this game. And I want to get your take on one of these here, David, that I wrote down for the Broncos when they're on offense and the commanders when they're on defense. The Denver Broncos offensive line got a really good test in week one from the Las Vegas Raiders and Max Crosby, who we know one of the star players off the edge in this league. I think we can agree. But the commanders are a different beast. They bring they bring pressure at all different angles, whereas the Raiders maybe just have one prominent guy off the edge. Now you've got guys coming from the inside, the outside. You got waves of pass rush coming from Washington's defensive side. Denver's offensive line versus the commander's defensive front, I think, is one of the key matchups that could end up dictating who wins this game. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I mean, for the Washington commanders, I think you just hit the nail on the head. That might be the most important matchup on their side. Like if the Washington commanders come out with a victory, I think you have to walk out of Denver saying that the defensive line really impacted 
uh, the game. And, you know, I think Deron Payne made a huge name for himself last year, coming into a contract season. The commanders uh, were willing to pay him, but they said, look, we want you to prove it. We want you to show us that you're worth uh, the money that you're asking for. He came in and, and gave him 11 and a half sacks. Montez Sweat is in a contract year. He wants a new deal. He's in basically the exact same boat. And in week one against the Arizona Cardinals, he comes in with one and a half sacks. So already a really great start uh, to his season. And then don't forget about John Allen. You know, it, it's it's funny, you know, in the media room, we talk about a lot. Like, it, it seems like Jonathan Allen's kind of the forgotten guy because he's just kind of the quiet leader, dad figure, father figure of the Washington Commanders defense where he just comes to work, takes care of business, goes home. You know what I mean? Like, he doesn't really flash a lot. He doesn't really dance a lot. He doesn't really talk a lot. Um, but the thing that really stood out uh, in the game against the Arizona Cardinals, is there were multiple reps where the Arizona Cardinals tried to get out on the on the edge in their running game, try to get away from some of those guys, and they were predictably running towards uh, the spot that Chase Young would normally, you know, occupy, trying to see if James Smith Williams, his backup, and Casey Tuhill, a guy who kind of helped rotate in there, could hold that spot. And those two guys have done well in the past without Chase Young in the rotation, so there's a lot of confidence there too. But you can't blame, you know, the Arizona Cardinals for testing that edge. I think the Denver Broncos are going to want to test that edge as well. The problem is the way that the Cardinals were doing is they were pulling a guard and then they're trying to get their center to trap down uh, and block down on John Allen. But he's so quick off the line that he's right behind that pulling guard and that center has no opportunity to do his job. And it's, it's almost impossible to ask a center to snap the ball and get out of his stance and get to John Allen before John Allen is getting into the backfield. So it's going to be really interesting uh, to see how the Denver Broncos approach this thing. You almost want to say put two backs in the backfield and have your fullback actually crash down to where that pulling guard is going instead of asking your center to fill that hole because that's the only chance you're really going to have of meeting John Allen in the hole. Uh, so if, if, if the Broncos can solve that puzzle, uh, then they have they certainly have a fighting chance. But uh, Jack Del Rio has also drawn up some, some interesting linebacker blitzes uh, that are new from previous versions of this defense, uh, and that secondary is super athletic, fast, and aggressive uh, as well. Yeah, it's going to be really key for the communication on the Denver offensive line to be on point. We saw in week one, a variety of different ways that the Broncos kind of tried to keep pass rush at bay. I mean, they brought in Quinn Bailey as an extra offensive lineman at times. Kind of surprising they didn't use Cam Fleming, who is really known as kind of the sixth offensive lineman for this team. I guess if you, you know, Chris Manhurts was brought in as a tight end to specifically block, and he's a pretty good pass protecting tight end. If there's really a category for that, I haven't heard much about that, but he's done quite a bit of it. And then Michael Burton, the fullback as well, like you mentioned, having two backs in there. And with the injury to Greg Dulcich, we could see undrafted rookie free agent Nate Adkins as an extra tight end tasked with blocking. But it certainly affected the Broncos downhill or downfield passing game against the Raiders, really not able to get much going in that regard because they're so worried about those edge guys coming off. And if Russell has to take a deeper drop, man, you feel like you're putting yourself at, at a disadvantage there, even against a pretty rough Raiders secondary. So we didn't see a ton of attacking downfield. Can't help but wonder if that will change this week and how the Broncos do adjust their blocking concepts and schemes up front. But certainly the investments are there. Garrett Bowles, a big money contract player at left tackle. Ben Powers, big money contract player at left guard. And Mike McGlinchey there at right tackle, one of the biggest contracts at his position. I want to shift over to the other side of the ball here as we talk about the Broncos secondary, which is arguably the biggest strength of this roster going up against mm -hmm. some pretty darn good wide receivers there for the Washington Commanders. Obviously, we've seen the emergence of Terry McLaurin over the last couple of years. And fortunately, we only have to talk with you guys about him once every four because he's very, very good <laughs> and a tough matchup. 
uh, but Jahan Dotson now in the mix, kind of seemingly becoming everything that Broncos fans maybe once upon a time hoped KJ Hamler could become for their team. Uh, another Penn State guy there. So let's talk about that matchup. At Sertan, Justin Simmons, a struggling Damari Mathis in the Broncos secondary. They're going up against Terry McLaurin, Jahan Dotson. And I, I think there's a, a pretty prominent reunion that just happened a, a week or so ago out there with Jamison Crowder as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, Jameson Crowder coming back to the team and, and filling that that practice or that practice squad, that punt return spot. Uh, originally started on the practice squad. He actually just got signed on Monday to the active roster. So he's now a full. Well, it's not official yet because they have to make a corresponding move. Don't know what that is. I have some conspiracy theories on what it is, but I'm not going to I'm not going to speak for the team until the team has spoken. Um, yeah, Jameson Crowder is an interesting uh, uh, case. Today, but so is Byron Pringle, right? Byron Pringle is a veteran receiver that was added to this roster. He's got experience with EB in Kansas City. So obviously he's got experience going up against the Denver Broncos. And he's someone that we didn't see a whole lot of in week one. But I think that could start changing as we move forward. Uh, but I think the real interesting thing is obviously Terry's going to be, you know, a big focal point for every defense. Jahan Dotson's expected uh, to have a breakout season this year. So those are the two obvious. But it was actually Curtis Samuel who led the Washington Commanders receiving group in receptions and in yards in week one. Didn't get a touchdown, all those things, but did a lot of dirty work, did a lot of late conversion work for the Washington Commanders. And I think that's really been the best part of watching an Eric Bieniemy offense really kind of take shape this offseason. Uh, I think we all came in with the same questions that everybody outside of Washington had with, okay, how much of, of that offense is you, you saw in Kansas City is Eric Bieniemy? How much of it was Andy Reid? And how much is it really going to translate? And I still don't know if I could put a percentage on any of those questions. But what I can tell you is that Eric Bieniemy's scheme is really, really good at taking advantages of looks, coverages, and, and combining route combinations so that someone is always open. The issue, I don't say the issue because obviously the Washington Bears came out with a win, right? But the thing that you saw a little bit of in week one from Sam is holding onto the ball. There is a bubble screen specifically where Jahan Dotson is in place to make a block on a defensive back. You get the bubble screen out to Terry McLaurin and you let him go to work. The second defender that's going to come up to try to clean up that screen is about seven, eight yards into the secondary. So that's a throw you make all day. Sam Howell looked at it, came off of it, tried to run the ball up the middle of the formation, ended up getting stopped behind the line of scrimmage for a sack. That's not the kind of decision you want to see out of your quarterback. But how much of that was the pace of the game, a little bit of the weather, a little bit of confidence being shaken, and how much of that was the defense? Because like you mentioned, the Denver Broncos have a much better defense overall, especially though the secondary compared to the Arizona Cardinals. When you're Sam Howell watching tape of this Denver Broncos secondary getting ready to try to have a bounce back performance, does that stature of this Denver Broncos secondary come into play early in this game? Or is he going to try to kind of rely on his coaching, rely on his own skill set, let it fly and, and see if he can't have that, that performance? If he relies on the scheme, relies on the reads, trust what he sees and executes, then he can certainly have a bounce back game, not because they'll necessarily beat these Broncos defenders, but because the scheme will give Sam the opportunity to make throws where those defenders aren't. Yep, seeing the quarterbacks trust their eyes is going to be crucial for both of these teams to get a victory. And we're going to talk more about that. We're going to talk about what needs to go right for these two teams to get a win on Sunday for the commanders. It would mean moving to 2-0 and and really having a pretty exciting start to the season. And for the Denver Broncos, it's going to be the difference between being 1-1, and getting back on track, or possibly starting off the season 0-2 under Sean Payton, which would send Broncos country into an absolute frenzy but we're going to talk about what needs to happen for these two teams to win before we do let me tell you about prize picks prize picks is the largest independently owned daily fantasy sports platform in north america it's the easiest and most exciting way to play dfs it's just you against the numbers so instead of battling thousands of other players including pros and sharks you pick more than 
or less than on two to six player stat projections and just watch those winnings roll in. Testing my skills on prize picks this football season is certainly the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. And so if you have the skills, you can easily turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. And prize picks offers weekly promotions that can lead to big payouts like Taco Tuesday each week. Every Tuesday, prize picks discounts select player projections up to 25% to provide even more value to you, the player. Do you like Jahan Dotson to go for more than 100 receiving yards against that Denver Broncos secondary? Or maybe you think Javante Williams could go for more than 100 rushing yards against a tough commander's defensive front. Russell Wilson, Sam Howell, could they go for more than two touchdowns? Well, whatever you're feeling, prize picks is a fun, simple, and accessible experience for everyone. So go to prizepicks.com slash locked on NFL and use code locked on NFL, all lowercase, for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash locked on NFL. Use code locked on NFL, all lowercase, for a first deposit match up to $100. What do these teams, the commanders and the Denver Broncos, what do they got to do to get to a win? David, I want to throw it to you first here because I know obviously there's a lot of different factors that go into this, but what do you think it is? If you have to boil it down to a couple of things here, what do the commanders have to do to go into the Mile High City and get a win against Sean Payton and the Broncos? Uh, Protect the quarterback. You know, and I know a lot of people out there are going to say, no, duh, thanks for the thanks for the expert analysis. You know <laughs> what I mean? But when you look at this matchup specifically, uh, the Arizona Cardinals hit uh, Sam Howell legally. So they hit him more when you count the illegal hits. They hit him legally 12 times in that first week. The Denver Broncos defense hit Jimmy Garoppolo three times total the entire game. That's the number that the Washington commanders need. And I say protect the quarterback because it's not just on the offensive line. We actually did a breakdown. I mean, I think pretty much everybody in Commander's Media, I know that Ben Standing of The Athletic did a breakdown of every sack, who to blame, who's responsible, all that stuff. And it basically came out for me, and I think for Ben as well, a 50-50 split. Three of those sacks were on Sam Howell. Three of the sacks were on the offensive line. And then you've got all the hits in between uh, that come in with it. And Sam Howell's got to make better decisions. Ron Rivera told us on Monday that he needs his quarterbacks and not be taking unnecessary hits. A lot of those sacks that we saw on, on, on Sunday were him trying to run the ball and there's sacks because he's getting hit as he's going out of bounds, a shade behind the line of scrimmage. So there's really no, like there's a couple of zero yard sacks on the, on the docket. Those are hits that Sam Howell is taking for literally no reason. Throw the ball away. It's the same down and distance. Only you didn't take a hit and we don't care about the stat box. We care about your health. So Sam Howell needs to be smart, uh, smarter there as a young quarterback. He's trying to do a lot, trying to be uh, athletic, which I think is something that he can use. Uh, that the Broncos didn't see against the Las Vegas Raiders. But again, your health is, is incredibly important because we all know this, right? If you're in the trainer's room, you're not on the field and nobody cares how talented you are at that point in time. So if this Washington Commanders offensive line can help protect uh, Sam the way that the Vegas offensive line helped protect Jimmy, and if Sam can be smarter, like a little bit more of a veteran quarterback like Jimmy Garoppolo was or is, then I think that's going to go a long way to keeping him secure, keeping him confident and helping him navigate a much more difficult secondary than he saw in week one. Yeah, I know Broncos country was absolutely getting driven crazy by the lack of overall pass rush and understandably so, right? I mean, this is a team that has really prided itself. If that's, you know, the franchise has been very good at getting after the quarterback. I guess you could date it all the way back to the 2006 year when Elvis Duberville came in out of Louisville as a fourth round pick and instantly became a hit off the edge 
for the Broncos. And that torch was passed, obviously, to Von Miller. And then DeMarcus Ware added to the mix. And then you've got Bradley Chubb and just so many good pass rushers for the Broncos over the last decade and a half. And now all of a sudden it's like, well, who's going to be that guy? And you really hoped that it could be Baron Browning, who's going to be on the PUP for at least the next couple of weeks here. You thought it could be big money free agent Randy Gregory. Hasn't happened. He barely played last year, barely made an impact in week one. You thought that it could be Zach Allen, a former Cardinal, who was probably the Broncos' best pass rusher in week one. But honestly, you don't really remember the plays in which he got after the quarterback. A lot of the uh, the positives for him were maybe he should have got you know a holding call on that. But you know how that goes. Uh, right. But it's just, where's that pressure going to come off the edge? Or is it going to come from blitzing? Vance Joseph and his defense, they did blitz over 40% of the time in this game. But you see the difference between teams that blitz a lot and have success, like we saw with, for instance, the Cleveland Browns against Cincinnati, having a ton of success blitzing, and the Denver Broncos, who, like you said, really blitz a lot, and they still only get three quarterback hits on Jimmy Garoppolo, who's not the most fleet of foot although he did end up kind of winning the game with a little scamper outside the pocket there at the end. So certainly the pass rush is an emphasis. I'm glad you brought that up because, man, it, the Broncos, if they have to fix one thing from last week, it's got to be the pass rush has to be better. You've got to accelerate the, the quarterback, you know, and his process. And I think what you said about Sam Howell is so important. You know, if he's holding on to the ball, that's something the Broncos will have to take advantage of and make sure if your initial rush doesn't get there, Something that this team has been pretty good at over the last couple of years, even if the initial rush doesn't get there, that secondary rush, who's going to be that guy that's kind of just lingering there waiting to attack an open gap. Oh, we've seen Josie Jewell be that guy before. We've seen Alex Singleton be that guy before. But maybe the biggest surprise of week one was no involvement from rookie Drew Sanders, who's expected to have this super secret package of plays. According to Vance Joseph, he said, you won't see certain things until the fall. And maybe he's officially waiting for that you know, the calendar to say it's fall to unleash it. But we hope it comes yeah. sooner than later because the pass rush needs to get there for the Denver Broncos to win this game against a young quarterback used to be able to really lean on Vic Fangio and his defense dominating young quarterbacks. But that is no longer the case in Denver or even with, you know, Ezero Evero. That was a big deal being able to have an advantage against young quarterbacks. We've yet to see, obviously, Vance Joseph prove that he can do that with this team. But I think that's that's what it's going to come down to in this game. Can the Broncos find a way to get a pass rush going? And if not, does Sam Howell, like you said, take that step towards making more veteran-type decisions, getting the ball to the playmakers, getting the ball out quickly, and forcing the Broncos' secondary to have to maybe kind of be more aggressive throughout this game, which could lead to an advantage the other way. But anything defensively for the commanders that you see as a reason that they, you know, they got to win this game if, or they can win this game if. I think really the, the commander's defense, like you just have to play your game. You know what I mean? Like play within your strengths and play within your scheme. And, and, you know, a couple of years ago, the commanders came in and, and it was, they were supposed to be a top 10 unit and they really got torched like early on in the season. I mean, I think the chargers put like almost 30 on them. The giants put 20 plus on them, uh, stuff like that. And a lot of it was guys playing out of position. You know what I mean? And we had an idea of kind of who some of those names were and, and all those things, but by and large has gotten fixed, you know, and, and the, and the veterans on this, on this defense now have like 80 plus weeks of install in Jack Del Rio's system. Uh, and that's a huge advantage for the most part. But then you also have some playmaking rookies out there like Emmanuel Forbes, who was able to get some PBUs in his first week of action, no interceptions, which he was disappointed in, but he was able to get some PBUs. Quan Martin as a Swiss army uh, knife, the safety out of Illinois, unfortunately he's in concussion protocol. So we'll see 
uh, you know, how, how that develops. He told me leaving the stadium Sunday that he feels fine, but you know, uh, I think I don't know if you've ever had a concussion, but then when we all have concussions, like we like, we like to we like to pretend it's really not that big of a deal because you know, that's your brain. You don't want to, you don't want to sit there and say, man, my brain got rattled, you know? So we'll see how that goes. But I think, you know, they have a strong defense and again, it's just playing within it because Russell Wilson, you know, even for all the struggles he's had in Denver, like he's shown throughout his career. If you make a mistake, if you over pursue, if you if you overplay your hand against a guy like Russell Wilson, he will make you pay for it. And, and even with all the mistakes and and some of the, some of the struggles, you cannot, if you're Nash, in the National Football League, forget who Russell Wilson has been and can be because it's still in there. It's just you know Sean Payton needs to to get it out of him, you know. And I I for one am confident. Just having covered the NFC South uh, for nine years now, this is my ninth year. I also cover the Buccaneers. Uh, I've seen Sean Payton go to work, and it might take four or five weeks, but I think that by the middle of this season, Denver Broncos fans are going to kind of see, you're either going to see what Sean is talking about with, with getting the best out of Russell, or uh, I'll tell you right now, if Russell can't get with Sean's program, Sean will change the program. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Well, he'll change the quarterback is what's going to happen there. Yeah, so yep, yep. Well, we're, yeah, we're excited to find out what happens and Sunday afternoon, it, it should be a good one. Obviously the mile high city, anticipation is mounting for this team to rip that band-aid off get a win but obviously the commanders they're looking to build off that one and oh start against the arizona cardinals so we'll find out what happens but we'll have you covered every single day right here on the locked on podcast network locked on broncos locked on commanders your team every single day thanks so much for joining and we'll see you soon